0: Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hune. I reject the idea that financial freedom has to wait until retirement. When we slow down to reflect on our values and use money to intentionally support those values, we can move on from a job we hate, waste less money, build greater wealth, and reach financial freedom sooner. Thanks for slowing down with me today. Welcome to the Affordable Freedom Podcast, everybody. So glad to have you for what's going to be an awesome conversation today. It's always awesome when I talk to today's guest. What's up, Shab?
1: It is good. I cannot complain. Life is treating me very well, Brian. Thanks for having me on.
0: Of course. All right. So today's guest is Shabnam Goma Hamadi, but her friends call her Shab. And we're all friends here in this community, so it's okay if everyone refers to you as Shab, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Totally. <laughs> so the first time I spoke with Shab, she had a really big impact on me. And she, she's not like most people in the business world. She's as real as can be. No bullshit, no hidden agendas. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm always somebody who's been incredibly bored by conversations in the corporate world. And so if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you have probably felt the same way at times. Shab, on the other hand, she's super interesting she wasn't afraid to dive deep with me in our first conversation. And I think by conversation two, we were getting into existential topics <laughs> and figuring out how we can save the world together. But that's not to say her head's always in the clouds. She's had a very successful career at Uber, um, leading teams across the globe. She worked her way up the corporate ladder and kicked ass in a world that's dominated by men. And now she's, she's got an incredibly inspiring and worthy mission of helping other women in the tech world to chart their own path as well. So again, Shab, thanks so much for coming on the show today.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So Shab, one of the things that I found really interesting in our conversations is your experience as a first-generation American. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that experience and you know, kind of tell us how it's shaped who you are as a person.
1: Yeah, I think... It's interesting because I don't think my version of being a first-gen American is the typical one you might hear. Um, My parents are highly educated. They have master's degrees. I think my father almost – he didn't finish his PhD. But they have always prioritized education. They've always prioritized uh, making money. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean they came to this country – Not knowing the language, and they figured out a field that they could, you know, easily find a job in. And that kind of shaped how I just decided to, you know, figure it out. Like as a a young adult, I went to college. I was one of those people that was like, I'm going to study whatever the heck I want. No, my parents were like, you need to find a job immediately after you graduate. You're not going to study something that, isn't going to pay you well, and I really took that to heart. And like, I wasn't always the best student growing up. I'll say, like, I was pretty average. Um, but when I went to college, something kind of shifted in me, and I was like, okay, I have a singular goal of finding something that is going to help me have security, which is a job. And I think for a lot of first generation Americans, there is this like piece of how do we can create security here in this country because, you know, I wasn't really helped in the same way I think maybe some other folks are whose parents spoke the language uh, easily and grew up as, uh, you know, native English speakers. Uh, You know, I never had my parents review like my reports (laughs) things like that. Like I just kind of was figuring it out. My essays, my SAT thing, like they never had to do any of that. Right. So I just kind of, figured it out on my own. And I went to very good schools that also supported me in that. But for me, I think it's not like the typical first generation American story. I actually am less educated than my parents. Um, I think they probably were in jobs that paid more than me because <laughs> they were in computer science, you know. So I've had a very privileged life, actually, as a first generation American from that sense. Um but it, as far as my identity goes, it's hard. I'm straddling two cultures. I never felt like I fully fit in anywhere. Like I, I speak really poor Farsi. Uh, so, you know, like that from that sense, like I don't feel fully integrated in that culture. Um, you know, but my name is Shabnam, right? Like my last name is Goliwohamedi. It's very long. And I also felt like that put me in this weird like, people can't pronounce my name and I don't want this Yeah, I'm sorry. I
0: butchered your name at the beginning. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: okay. That's why I just call you Shab. Yeah, just call me Shab. But like, honestly, um, it is like this thing where I feel like I've never fully fit in any group. And that is what I feel like is very much the common thread between so many first generation Americans is like, we just are kind of straddling two worlds. And that can be really difficult from an identity perspective.
0: Yeah, I can totally relate to that in terms of not being a first gen American, but um, what you mentioned about not really having a place to fit in. I I always felt like growing up, I would bounce around from one group of friends to another trying to sort of figure out who I was. And um, a lot for a lot of people like going to college is that time to figure out who you are. But you said something interesting there about how it was kind of drilled into your head that you go to job or or go to college to get a job. And like, I went with the same type of a mentality where it was like this very transactional experience. It was like I was going there so I could get a piece of paper so I could get a job. I wasn't spending time trying to figure out who I am and where I fit in. Did you kind of feel that way as well?
1: Yeah, certainly. Like, I loved where I went to school. Uh, it's a small Jesuit university in Silicon Valley, Santa Clara University. Go Broncos. But anyways, I felt like I didn't have the time or mental capacity to feel like I was like really learning about who I was. Like to be frank, like what I did is study and party. <laughs> and like I loved my <laughs> friends, but I wouldn't say we were like answering these like existential questions of who we are. We were just trying to like, get through college and have a good time while we did it and i don't think i really figured out who i was until my late 20s so yeah it
0: wasn't
1: it wasn't this like discovery moment for me
0: yeah not for me either i was trying to figure out how to how i was going to afford quarter draft night and make sure to make it to class the next morning so yeah (laughs) totally (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about you know we we touched on your college experience and then let's talk about how that transition into the corporate world you know what did that look like for you in terms of like what did your first job look like and then what did that look like along the way as you climbed the corporate ladder?
1: Yeah, so I had my job lined up when I was a junior in college. So uh, like I said, I had the singular goal of getting the right. Degree So I can get a job and a a job that paid me well and that had security. So I studied accounting (laughs) and management information systems. Exciting. I I actually love the management information systems. And I don't know if that's because my parents were computer engineers. And it, it was more of like the it was like the least technical version of that basically like we learned some really interesting things about databases and uh SQL like programming languages i i built like a app and i created a database like that was cool and then there was this accounting thing that i just was way too far deep into to like remove myself from <laughs> at that point um i like i got past the like hardest class and i was like well i can't change my major now <laughs> like we're going for it right and that was a great way to get a job right like they were heavily recruiting kids in college little did i know at the time that it's like this fu- well-oiled machine from these firms to get you lots of cheap labor um you know i said what i said but <laughs> it is what it is uh and they bill you for like three to four times your true hourly rate so And I get that. That's the way for they make money. Whatever. So I had this internship and then it turned into my full time job. And then I quickly realized like about a month or two in that I was in the wrong job (laughs) Mm. (laughs) that had been like so stoked to have because I was like, all my friends were like looking for jobs and I was like, I'm good. Like I can just enjoy college now. Like I don't have to stress. I just have to like maintain my GPA and not totally screw up, which I wasn't going to do anyways. But I got into my first job and I just knew it was wrong. And that was like the first step in me realizing that I was living my life for other people. And it was, I wasn't, it wasn't like as synthesized as I'm saying it now, but I was just like, what am I doing? This is wrong. And so I was at the, one of the firms and And they had the strategy arm that I was like, oh, that's where I got to be. You know, like that's like where all of the smart people are. Like if I'm in that group, people are going to think I'm smart. (laughs) Honestly, that was what my mentality was. Let me just keep doing these jobs that look awesome on paper because that's going to mean people think I'm smart because, you know, I had this huge complex that I wasn't smart, which is sad. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> That's just really what it was. I didn't well, it's, believe it's
0: it. not uncommon, I mean, definitely I think, not,
1: yeah. definitely not. Now that I'm in this line of work, I know how common it is, but I really didn't want to even own that I was a smart person or how great I was like i and I don't even mean that I'm in this arrogant way. I just mean like that was really hard for me to like accept because I didn't personally believe it. so even when other people told me, I didn't believe it. How can I believe something that I didn't even give myself? Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. as I moved on from that job and I got my job at Uber, which I absolutely loved, that was in strategy um, and I worked from being an analyst all the way into management and from the US Canada division to leading the global programs for the business. Um, I still was living my life for other people. I was still trying to constantly just impress my parents or my friends or men, (laughs) which is really hard for me to admit. But I was like in a I've always worked in male-dominated industries um, on super lean teams. And I was like, okay, they're gonna think I'm smart now. Like these guys are going to think I'm smart and not my partner never, ever questioned my intelligence, by the way. I was just trying to impress other people. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I felt like people took me seriously.
0: So would you say this was more um, this is just something that you struggled with personally, but ne- other people didn't necessarily think it about you? Like in terms of like you thought you, you believed you weren't smart enough, but everybody else around you thought, wow, she's a really smart person.
1: For sure. This was such a complex that I've had to battle, which is not admitting to myself, like my greatness. I, I, I still feel a little bit, um, I, I feel, I feel weird saying that, but yeah, like I don't want to, I didn't want to admit that I'm smart, but that being said, I was, at this company that was like, I was surrounded by extremely smart people and I still was like, I don't know how I got this job. (laughs) You know, like they're going to figure it out, right? That imposter syndrome. They're going to know that I have no idea what I'm doing. And Oh my God, everyone here worked at or, you know, went to school at an Ivy league and I barely feel like I got into college because I had such an average GPA. But you know, I, I think part of it is just like the people I surrounded myself with, like they were all so high achieving that I always felt like I was just not there, but I was still doing a lot. I just kept comparing myself to other people. And that's, I think, the, f- the fault that I was in, right? Comparing myself to other people, but that's just really not the game I want to play anymore. There's no need to compare, right? But At the time, you know, I was in my 20s, so I had no idea what I was doing and I was just figuring this all out.
0: Yeah, especially early on, like in your 20s, there's that that comparison game that's always going through your head for for a lot of people. I know that was the case for me. You know, when I got into the financial services industry, I, you know, I went to a small college, Eastern Illinois University, right, a small state school, and you didn't have to be very smart to get in. Um, But then I would see all these people that went to these big fancy schools, like portfolio managers that are really Mm -hmm. smart and managing money for large institutions and everything. And I always felt like I didn't quite stack up. So I felt the same way, like this imposter syndrome, like that I'm not smart enough. Um, Always felt like I wanted more and more money. I was always chasing the paycheck because I wanted that external validation because I wanted other people to view me as successful. I I didn't really care about how I felt about myself. And it's just it's way more common than we think, especially when you're going through it. Like you think you're the only one that's suffering with this. Everyone around you has got their shit together, but it's just not the case. Right. And you're learning that more now. Right.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this business has been so healing for me selfishly (laughs) because, you know, one, it's like proving to me that I'm not lazy, that I am smart, that I can do this. And it's also giving me this perspective of what's happening inside everyone else's heads because I'm coaching women who are dealing with imposter syndrome, that imposter syndrome is leading them to be burned out because they're constantly trying to prove themselves because they work in tech companies with super high achieving people. And all of those people are also feeling the exact same because I have spoken to very ambitious, very high achieving women. Those are my clients and they still feel this way, right? Even if they have the fancy college, even if they have the amazing resume, there is still something going on where they are burning out from trying to prove that they are enough. And it really has nothing to do with achievement being enough. And that's kind of what they discover along the journey.
0: Yeah. It's like the, the smarter you are, the more high achieving you are, the more susceptible you are to burning out and and mm-hmm. having that imposter syndrome. That's really what drives high achieving people is a lot of times the self-doubt, right?
1: Yeah. that That's such a great point. I think a lot of it is related to how they are viewing themselves as still not being enough. And I, I probably was in that camp too. I, I mean, I think it's hard for me to admit that, but it's like, yeah, I was a high-achieving person. I did really well at work. I you know was I the top performer? I, no, probably not, but that wasn't really my goal. I just wanted to do well and have an impact and and build really solid relationships with the people I worked with, and I did that. And I made really good money doing that. But at some point it just doesn't it didn't feel like enough for me personally to stay in that environment.
0: Okay. So what was your, your breaking point, you know, that where, where you got to a point in your corporate career where you just knew in your soul that you could no longer stand this corporate grind and you, you had to try something new? What did that look like for you? Because I know that's different for each person.
1: So, well, I think that happened in November, but what really led to that and ha- I was building this coaching business on the side for about 18 months. I would say, give or take a few months. Um, And it really started in 2020 when we're all just isolated and alone. And I was like in the worst possible place mentally. Um, And I think it had to do with the isolation for sure. But it also was because I was on this like trajectory of like not knowing who I was, having no connection to myself or, um, you know, The world around me—it was very, you know—I was drinking a lot, like I was partying a lot. I, I was like so, I, you know, my relationships with people were not solid; like they were not in a good place. Like with my family, with my partner, with my friends, like I was just like in a really low spot all around. And I think from that place, I, I decided to start spending more time understanding myself. Had a bit of a spiritual awakening and really learned all these concepts of like, you know, not taking things personally and like how people operate is how their reflection of their inner world and it has nothing to do on me and how I project out is, you know, a reflection of my inner world and all of that stuff. So that was kind of like the, the first crack, I would say, in like the journey to leaving my job. Um, but I'm a very practical person. So I still wanted to make the money. <laughs> so I stayed at my job for a couple of years. like, And then at one point, like this manager that I had who was like my favorite person to work for ever. He was such a great leader. He left. And that kind of then was like the beginning of the end, I would say, because I was like, well, I really don't have any other reason to be here. I was so loyal to him. Um, because he really helped my career and I, I could learn a lot from him. And then, you know, as time went on, I, I stayed another 18 months at that point. But at one the final straw, I think, for me was um feeling like I was adding no value. That was it. Like Man. I was getting paid well. I was like managing an amazing team. My work was on paper like you would be like wow you know she's really doing a lot but i felt like it was not being valued and it wasn't really valuable like i felt like i was just like wasting my talents and my time so
0: when you say you felt like um you were not being valuable or you were not being valued um it's not necessarily from a monetary standpoint, like you were getting paid well, so like they saw your value, you just didn't feel like you were adding value,
1: yeah, that's the, the right. way that
0: you could okay
1: yeah i mean i I just felt like you know there was also a lot of things that were happening, so like the company had grown in the six years that I was there, especially the the division I was in, it went from being like a you know, a billion dollar business, which is still big, but like to multiple billions. Right. And that's a big shift. I essentially just got to a place where I was dealing with super senior leadership. Like those were my main stakeholders. And I felt like I really wasn't, they weren't really hearing me. And there was some politics involved. And a lot of things that were happening were just out of my control. And I accepted that. But I could only accept that up to a certain level. Like if it just kept happening over and over again, it just felt like I was wasting time. And so from that perspective, I just said, I don't think I want to stay here anymore because I also had one foot out the door anyways. I was building the business and I had saved enough cash runway. I had been investing my money since I was 21. I had equity from the company. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to like (laughs) <laughs> be on the streets if I leave my job and I can't make any money doing coaching like because mm-hmm. I, I didn't actually leave having that much money coming in from coaching but I just knew I could figure it out so I just was like all right peace <laughs>
0: we're, yeah we're out <laughs> so t- talking about the um you know the financial runway mm-hmm. and, and there there's like a couple different ways that as a financial planner like I help people to think about that One is someone who's like more in your shoes, I suppose, where you wanted to have enough savings to to give you enough time to actually start generating some business um, from your new venture, whereas other people, if they have a significant amount of assets, they can kind of turn those assets into almost like a personal pension fund where they're pulling income off of that and it allows them to kind of have the freedom where their basic needs are all covered. And I was more in in your shoes. Like when I quit my job, it was like I had savings set aside and it was like, I need to get this business off the ground because if I don't, I'm going to blow through these savings. Mm -hmm. So some people might feel comfortable with six months of, of cash runway. Some people might feel more comfortable with a year. How did you think about that when you were going through this process?
1: Yeah, so I basically had about six months set aside and <laughs> essentially what ended up happening is the stock market just started doing really well and my equity like doubled from where it was when I quit my job that that I had in the company and so I was like oh okay well <laughs> if I can't figure this out in six months at least like I could probably do like I could probably live off that At at what I'm spending now which is not a lot like I've cut back a lot on my spending I'm really just trying to be very rational about what I spend money on because before I was like oh yeah I'm gonna buy a brand new pair of like 300 jeans and like all this expensive skincare because I felt so empty inside (laughs) and now I don't feel that way so I'm like okay well I don't really need that stuff like if I run out of necessities yes I will replenish them but I'm not like buying to fill like this hole in my heart, which is great.
0: (laughs) So yeah. So I was just going to say, that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand and is kind of a hurdle. They think they have to have a lot more money saved up if they're going to quit their job. But the reality is when you quit a job that's kind of meaningless and you feel empty inside and then you start doing work that really energizes you and really fills you up, you don't care about all the crap you used to spend money on like if you can yeah. cover your bills and have freedom of your time to, to spend your days the way you want to spend them you're good yeah
1: yeah like i just buy books now which is great because like a, like a lot of them are business books so i'm learning a lot but i just love reading so that's kind of the one thing i'm like still like you can't get me to stop buying books but i could go to a library whatever <laughs> um, but, but, but I won't. <laughs> but that's my thing, right? But, you know, before it was like all this other stuff that I didn't really need. So I'm happy about that. Like I'm rationalizing my spending. So hopefully as this business starts to take off and I'm making more revenue, I'm not going to go back to like just buying stuff for the heck of it. And I'm going to be a lot more intentional about how I spend that money, right?
0: Yeah. So being an entrepreneur, um, doing work that's meaningful for you, there's so many benefits to that. It, it definitely, it, it raises your spirits. I think it, for me, it's made me a more optimistic person, but it's not all roses, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's tough. So since starting your journey as an entrepreneur, what would you say are like some of the biggest challenges you faced, uh, maybe things that you didn't even expect? And And then I guess the next question would be, then what advice would you take from what you've learned and and give to others?
1: Yeah. Well, I've learned a lot in the six months that I've left my job, right? It's only been six months. Um, Here's a couple of things I learned. Things take time. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I worked in a very fast paced environment before where things just needed to, like, we needed to deliver, we needed to grow. Um, We used to have, like, week to week like yeah we grew as a business every week right um that doesn't really translate to where i'm at and what i'm doing and so the first couple of months i was really sitting there and being like what the hell did i just do like this is such a mistake i am gonna run out of money like nobody cares that i'm doing this You know, there's like a lot of just like negative self-talk was coming through. And my partner was like, what are you doing? Like, how are you going to figure this out if you're talking to yourself that way? And like, Mm. you are crying every other day. (laughs) What is going on? And I was like, this isn't working. He's like, you just quit your job. Like, uh, what is your expectations? And that's something I am realizing is my expectations for myself are here. Right. And that's great. Like I really expect a lot and I work really hard, but there's things that are out of my control. Right. And I think like what I've just come to realize is that everything takes time You got to just plant a lot of seeds during that time because that's how it will start to flourish and grow because now six months later, I'm like, oh my God, this is going to work. I think this is happening. Good things are coming. The clients are coming. You just have to take some time to figure it out. And that's what I would say has been the biggest learning for me is leaving the urgency at the door and just doing the things I have to do every day And knowing it will pay off because I'm not making this up. This is these are all tried and true strategies that I'm implementing. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough to just do the strategy. You have to really believe in yourself because then you won't show up. If you don't, you're going to be like, what's the point? I don't like this. Um, You know, especially if you're money motivated as I am, you're going to be like, this isn't worth it. You know, this isn't paying off. And That's just not the right mindset to be in when you're building something new. You have to give yourself time. You have to trust yourself and truly believe in yourself. And I'm lucky that my partner really believes in me. That got me through the hard patch. And he really had me look at things from such an optimistic point of view. I'm so lucky to have him. He is like my biggest supporter and believer. He's what really helps keep me going But also working on my own mindset and my own belief system, if I don't believe it, then what the hell are my clients paying me for? Like, Do I not believe in the product or the service that I'm offering? Because they're going to feel that. They're going to feel that when they're talking to me and seeing if they want to hire me. So you have to just get your mind right. So I guess like the two things (laughs) is urgency and mindset, huge.
0: Yeah, the mindset is just, so drastically different from corporate employee to entrepreneur. That's one of the biggest things that I've learned. And um, to your point about, uh, y- you know, you have to have patience and and sometimes you're not going to see the results and you still have to have patience. And that's really hard because in the corporate world, every everything like success is always measured in terms of dollars. Success means how much money came in this month, right? Right. And for a long time as an entrepreneur, you're not going to have any money coming in, but sometimes you're going to feel in your gut, you know, that I'm making progress. Like I feel more confident about how things are going right now. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have anything tangible to tell you things are going well. You just kind of feel it. So um, that's where having somebody that's gone through it, that that's been down that path is so helpful. For a long time, I was resistant to working to coaches because I was in like this scarcity mindset where I was like, I only have so much savings set aside and I don't want to spend money because, um, you know, I need to, to to focus on taking care of my family and getting this business off the ground. But, yeah. you know, the, the more you can have sort of that support to help you start to recognize some of the intangible things that are pointing to success and will keep you on the right path, the better. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I know you're you're coaching people. Have you used coaches in the past as well?
1: Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> I think like if you talk to someone who's a coach and they've never had a coach, it's like very sus. You need to not hire that person. I have worked with coaches for the last few years, and they've been very different in what they offer. Like it's not one size fits all. Some coaches have been around leadership. Some have been around being in my feminine energy. And then some people have been – some of the coaches I've worked with uh, were really around business strategy and tactics. like And that's who I was just working with. My most recent coach was someone who was very focused on business. They're all very different, and they offer something different. And that's what I like to say. You have to find the right person for what you need in that moment. It's not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. Um, But, yes, I love – being coached. It's like one of my favorite things. I love being coached so much. It really has changed how I view myself and the confidence that I have in myself.
0: It's when you're surrounded with other people who are also climbing the mountain, it's like almost hard not to be pulled up with those people. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm with you on, on having coaches and I view them as partners, even though we're not actually business partners, like it's a partnership. We're in this thing together.
1: That's exactly what it is, especially in how I was trained as a coach. It's not like this. like It's like this, right? We are um, partners. It's like a equal playing field. I'm not a guru or anything. I am just offering coaching and support to someone who – needs extra help to get through this season of life they're in and in their careers, if they want to get to the next level, if they want to feel more confident in themselves, and you've hit a plateau and you can't do it on your own, get a coach. Just get the right coach, though. I have to say this. It's very scary what I'm seeing in the coaching industry. Uh, I'm inundated with ads of other people saying, Hey, I'm a coach and I can help you with your coaching business. And it feels very MLM-y. There's not mm-hmm. all like that, but there's definitely a large group of people who are basically regurgitating a strategy that they were taught and recruiting more people. And that's more in the business coaching space. Um, I would say I've obviously worked with fabulous people who are business coaches, but just like do your due diligence when you want to hire people. That's, that's what I wanted to say to whoever is listening to this because it can be really scary out there.
0: Yes, I appreciate you pointing that out and I agree. Um, yeah, when there's coaches out there that put themselves out as a guru, that's like a red flag. Yeah. so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up.
1: It's something that's been really top of mind for me uh as i've gotten into this business myself and i wouldn't really even say they're coaches because truly coaching is not advising it's a totally different skill set and like yeah sure i advise my clients sometimes but like being a true coach is to pull the answers and guidance from within the client. And to get them to really step into the power of themselves, because it's way more impactful that way, anyways. You know, if you came to the conclusion, yes, I am a confident person and I am capable of doing this, it's going to be way more impactful than me telling you that because you're not going to believe it for yourself. Right. So, anyways, yeah. I'm going to get off my soapbox about that, but 100%. I'm very passionate about this subject.
0: It reminds me of one thing I learned a long time ago in my career is when you're selling, like, if you tell someone to buy something, they're not going to buy it. But if you allow them, if you bring them to the conclusion that they want to buy it, then they will. So it's kind of a a similar thing in coaching.
1: Yeah. I mean, certainly I've learned that through learning how to do sales. Um, It's Yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. But for sure, it is similar in that those the skills of coaching actually translate really well into selling too where you're really trying to listen and ask the right questions and get someone to really come to the conclusions themselves like you said
0: yeah all right, so I want to switch gears real quick. Um, I know you're big into you know mindfulness and meditation, which I've started incorporating a little bit more in my life and I haven't been as consistent, but um, you've helped me to be a little bit more consistent with it. But I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that and how it's improved the quality of your life. And, you know, if it, if you think it's made you a little bit better in your career as well.
1: Oh, it's changed my life. I don't even say that like as a dramatic person. I can be very dramatic, but uh, in this case, I'm not being dramatic it is the one thing that has truly worked for me in getting out of my head and really listening to who I am like in my intuition. It's been the best guidance system for me. Like I can't overemphasize enough how much I lived in my head, overthought things, spiraled, had such negative self-talk. And I read this book, The Untethered Soul, and it was at the time I, I was like, I don't understand anything this person is saying because it was all about the monkey mind and how we talk to ourselves in this way. Anyways, I came back to that book a couple of years later and then I was like, wow, I totally understand now what it's trying to tell me. And that's when I really started my meditation practice after starting to read that book. And I started just doing 10 minutes, five minutes a day guided meditation on an app. And it really has now transformed into like 40-minute, 50-minute, an hour-long meditation practice. I don't always get the time to do that in the mornings, but if I can, I will. And it has truly set me up to feel like I am like going to build this life that I want to build. Like it has gone from just being a healing practice to being like a practice and envisioning this life that I want uh because there's all different types of meditations there's like visualizations there's guided meditations there's you know vipassana meditations there's just like sitting there in silence and like repeating a mantra over and over again there's something out there for anyone honestly and i just think you, you must do it you must do it if you want to truly get out of your head and feel like you can just connect with yourself. It, it's like a must. I I read all these books. Brian, <laughs> I'm reading this book on like entrepreneurship and even in that book, it's like meditate. <laughs> it's like everywhere now. I feel like it has become very yeah. popular for good reason because as an entrepreneur, you have to like really listen to your intuition or you're going to get pulled in all these different directions that aren't going to actually serve you and serve your Clients or customers. So if you can just really be in touch with who you are and what your internal guidance system is, it's going to really lead you to something that is a lot more successful for everybody, right? Good for you, good for your customers, good for your clients, good for the world. You know, like the things we're building, it's it's impacting the the world that we live in, right? So can we actually build things that are regenerative and helpful and that actually serve people versus drain people. So yes, I'm a big fan of it. I do it every day. I can't live without it.
0: Yeah, it seems to me like almost every entrepreneur that I meet is similar and I'm the same way too in that you overthink things. You've always got thousands of ideas going through your head all the time. And yeah, you just got to slow that down. It's very, mm-hmm. very difficult to do if you're not intentional about it. And um, like I said, I, I haven't been nearly as consistent with it as you, but um, I can tell if, if, I'm, if, if I meditate just for 15 minutes, like in the morning for five days in a row, and then I go a couple days with not doing it. I'm like, holy shit, what just happened? I'm like a different person now. I'm all over the place. I'm stressing out more. So Mm -hmm. it's amazing. I hope that I can get up to those 45-minute, hour-long sessions at some point.
1: Yeah, you will. It's just going to start happening. You're just going to sit there and be like, wow, this feels so good. Like, I don't even want to (laughs) leave. Yeah. (laughs) I swear. Like, sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, that was so nice. And now I'm back here. And like (laughs) it's not like this is a bad place to be either, but it's just so good. I'm just like, ah. Feel like I just took a really nice nap or something.
0: Amazing, Shab. Thank you so much again for coming on. I always enjoy our talks. And if the listeners want to find out more information about you and the valuable service that you offer with y- with your coaching, where where should they go?
1: I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> I love LinkedIn. We all That's, are, aren't we? Yeah, I, yeah. Add me on LinkedIn. Just let me know that you listened to this episode. Um, that's where I play. That's where you can find me. I'm really not on other social media. It it just is too much. (laughs) I don't want to be on every social media. Sorry. I have not yet
0: either. (laughs) All right. So Shab's on LinkedIn. And again, thank you. I appreciate you coming on. It's been a great conversation. We'll do it again sometime.
1: Absolutely.
0: All right. Sounds good. Thanks for listening today. And if you have a moment, check out my website at reflectivewealth.com. Everything you need to know about my business is there. Because if there's one thing I've learned in my career, transparency and accountability are critical to a healthy financial services industry. Thanks and see you next time.